Well, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. As we continue through our Home for the Holiday series, uh, we're going to be looking at one of, one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story. Um, I don't know why this is particularly one of my favorite ones, but it just happens to be this year. Um, it's one of my favorite parts, but uh, we're talking about, uh, we're focusing on the Magi, the wise men, the travelers from afar, the three, three kings, whatever you want to call them. Um, I'm going to call them the wise men probably the most, even though... Uh, the version that I'm using says Magi. But we find this story in Matthew chapter 2. And if you came to Revival this past week, uh, you'll know that Cliff Clark also spoke on this. He spoke on this particular passage. And honestly, um, I love how God plans these things out. But at the same time, I'm like, Cliff, why'd you have to take my notes? because um, he preached almost exactly what I was going to be preaching, and so I did change mine a little bit, because you heard it once. You don't need to hear it again, maybe. But, um, you know, I, I love Cliff Clark so much. This isn't the first time that this has happened. Um, he actually invited me to a, a youth camp, to speak at a youth camp, uh, several years ago. It was when I was just entering youth ministry, and he knew about it, and so he called me to come to this camp in Illinois. And when I went there, he didn't tell me I was the last speaker of the whole week. He had been preaching all week. And I'm like, really? I have to follow you? Like, this is, this is what we're doing. I have to follow you. And so he invited me to come. He didn't tell me what he preached on. He didn't tell me anything about it. But um, when I showed up, I preached what I believed was what God placed on my heart. And it was when Peter walked on water. One of my favorite stories, probably my favorite story in the Bible. And at the end of me preaching, like people were on the altar and everything, and we're all praying together. And at the very end, Cliff said, Brother Logan, do you know I've been preaching on that all week? No, I didn't. But um, I loved it because they all came up to me and they said, you said it in a way that I understood. And so sometimes you do have to hear it a second time. But if you look at Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called them together, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another room. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for this day and for this time. Lord, I ask that you just speak through me as you always do and as you always know how. Lord, open up all of our hearts to receive your message for us today. Lord, as we live in a very joyless world, may we find joy in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you, you can admit this, you don't have to, how many of you have the one person in your family that always gives the best gifts at Christmas? Okay, we have a few brave souls to admit that you get good gifts on Christmas, okay? So you have that one person in your family. Maybe you have to go back to your childhood, but you had that one person that always gave the best gifts. Now, how many of you also had the person who gave really bad gifts? Um. It wasn't them, so, uh, (laughs) right? You had that one person that just gave really odd gifts. Maybe they weren't necessarily bad, but it wasn't what you wanted. You kind of opened it up, and you're like, okay, thanks. I love it. And then you never see it again. Like, have you ever gotten those gifts? I've gotten plenty of those gifts. In fact, um, I'm going to pick on my parents for a little bit because they'll watch this later. Some, sometimes my parents were the bad gift givers. They would always follow it up with a really good gift, but they loved to tell this story because they loved how bratty I was as a kid. And so um, there was this one time that I had a really good gift coming. I just didn't know it because they waited and they put it in my stocking, which we always did last. And so I, we have all of these gifts and all these boxes. I'm opening up these big boxes that have just a smaller box of nothing in it. And Jessica's opening all these big boxes and it has the toys that she's won. And it's having like everything that she asked for, like to the T, this is what she put on her list and she's getting everything. Here's what I put on my list. I'm getting none of that. I'm getting t-shirts from OCU for the 500th time. And I'm just like going through all these things. And I'm being thankful because that's what we were taught to do as kids. We were like, even if you don't like it, be thankful because it was a sacrifice. And I'm like, okay, you get the employee discount, both of you. This isn't much, like that much of a sacrifice. But um, we, I'm getting all these t-shirts and OCU merch and all these other things that some of them I did ask for, but I know how much her stuff cost. And they always told us, we're going to try and keep it as even as possible. I'm like, this is not even, right? And so they, they always laugh at me because my, in, internally, I was destroyed. On the outside, I was like, oh, thank you so much for this OCU t-shirt. I love it. Thank you. There's where all of my other ones are. <laughs> like, and so they knew it. They were laughing They were laughing at me, and so we get to the stockings, and I ended up having like an iPod Touch in there, which is what I really wanted, and so I was ecstatic. I forgot everything else about what had happened, but we all have those that are like questionable, not really the greatest gifts, and maybe it's a t-shirt or something, and you don't really want to wear it, but you only wear those shirts whenever those people are involved in your life, right? Now I'm connecting with people, so... There's always 
the good gift givers and there's always the bad gift givers. Now, they're not always the same people. Sometimes they, they differentiate. But with the wise men in the Bible, we often credit them with being the gift givers. They're the ones that gave the gifts to Jesus. Now, let me just take a moment and know that we never hear about or see anything about the shepherds giving anything, right? They're the ones, they show up to the party and they leave. The wise men, they show up and they give some gifts. And so uh, we, we love that about them. But the wise men brought these gifts to Jesus, namely gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But be, besides them giving them these gifts, they play a much larger part in the story. And so let's take a few minutes and look at the flow of this historical count of the wise men. So who are these wise men? Well, truthfully, we have no idea. We, we really don't know who they are. All we really know about them is what scripture says, and that's that they're from the east and they brought these things. We really don't know how many there were. We usually say three because there's three gifts. But we, we really don't know much about them. Now, there's a lot of different theories and schools of thought, and scholars have argued this for, for years and years and years. But there's one theory that I actually really like, and that's that the three, I'm just going to say the three wise men because that connects with us the most. The three wise men came from different countries. And what that represents is all the countries coming together and how Jesus was going to bring all of the countries together. And that was the symbolism behind it. Now, we don't know that for sure. I just really like it. I think it's a, a nice little extra dose of symbolism within the story. And, and, but we do know that they're from the east. And so east of Jerusalem, geographically, they likely came from Arabia, Persia, China, Mesopotamia, Babylon, one of those countries if not a, a collection of all of them. But honestly, it's not very helpful or useful to know where they were from. Why do I say that? Well, because Scripture just says the East. Now, if Scripture had said they all came from China, there might be something more behind it. It might be more important for the story, but it's not really that important, I don't think. I'm not saying it's not important, probably just not the most important thing. So then, what did they do? Well, uh, contrary to our, our favorite Christmas hymn, they probably weren't kings. They were probably, um, uh, they're, they're called magi, so they were probably astrologers. They probably studied the stars, and they could have even been priests of whatever temple they served at to look and study the stars to see when the end times. They always looked for the signs of the end times, and so um, they were likely astrologers or priestly officials, but again, it's not very helpful because it just calls them wise men. It just calls them magi, and so it's not super important for us to know what they did. You still with me? It's just making sure. Uh, like I'm doing a little bit of teaching. I'll get to the preaching in a second. So if, we, if it doesn't really matter that much where they're from or what they did, then what's important? Well, the first thing is that they saw the sign from the Lord and they responded to it. They saw the sign from God through the star and they responded from it. Now, if they're from a different country, they probably don't believe in God. And so why would it be so important that they see this star and want to respond to another God and the signs of another God? Well, because they likely studied this. They studied it. They somehow got a, a prophecy that comes from Numbers chapter 24 that says 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, which is a sign of royal authority, will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the schools of the people of Sheph. And so what really, what they're seeing is whenever they see this star, they're making this connection with this prophecy from a different religion. And they're like, this is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. And it's going to be born King of the Jews. That's all they know. And so what do they do? Because the Messiah for them was the one who was going to save the world, even being a part of a different religion. So they're like, well, I want to go and worship the one who's going to save us from all this stuff that's happening. I want to go to the one that's going to save us from all of the evil that's in the world. And so they go and they pursue Jesus. But look at where they went. Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem. Not Bethlehem. Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the king was. Everyone knew that Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. And so to go to who you expect to be the king, born of the Jews, you go to Jerusalem because that's where all the kings were. That's where the royalty was. And so they walk in into Jerusalem expecting to see this child, but honestly being kind of disappointed because he wasn't there. But they look to this royal city of Jerusalem and they walk up to the king, King Herod, and they say, where is this child? Where is this child to be born king of the Jews? And then look at verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now it's easy to see why Herod was disturbed. Because he wasn't of the line of David, which meant that once this Jesus kid would grow up, from the line of David, he would lose his entire kingdom that he had built by himself. But Herod had also built his kingdom on everything ungodly. He would be the one that would come in and, and just build his own kingdom and everything was going to crumble because of this kid. Because once this kid grew up and, and aged a little bit, he would have the rightful heir to the throne. He would be the one that would uh, take over the kingship and Herod and his, his legacy that he was trying to build was going to be completely destroyed. His power and his authority was on the line. And so he was disturbed at that. Hearing this news, he was disturbed. But it also says that all of Jerusalem was disturbed too. Now, I don't know if this is because uh, and foreshadowing that all of Jerusalem at the end of Jesus's life would despise and reject Jesus. Because it definitely could be a parallel of that. But what I really think is that Jerusalem was disturbed, not because the Messiah was here. Because when you look at the shepherd's story, the shepherds are going and telling everyone, and everyone's filled with joy. Everyone is loving this. They're, they're excited about the Messiah who would grow up and save them from all the things that are happening in their life. But now Jerusalem is disturbed, not because the Messiah is here, but because... They fear what Herod's going to do. Everyone knows that Herod was a ruthless ruler. Everyone knows who Herod is. And they're like, okay, the Messiah's finally here, but what's Herod going to do about it? Is he going to try and kill him? Our only hope is he going to try and destroy. And so let's stop here for a moment.
we're talking about joy today and how you can find joy. And I want to tell you, one of the easiest ways to lose your joy is through fear. One of the easiest ways to lose all of your joy is fear of what might come. See, Jerusalem was likely filled with joy two years ago when the shepherds announced that Jesus was here and Jesus was born. But now two years later, when the wise men show up, all of Jerusalem is no longer filled with joy because they fear what might come. And so I think the wise men show us the answer to when we are afraid, how to find joy. Because the wise men didn't stumble in their search. They, they came up to Herod, they asked him, and Herod said, uh, I'll, I'll talk to all the, the, the preachers and teachers of, of the temple, and they said that it's going to be in Bethlehem. And they're like, okay, we're going to Bethlehem then. But I could do a really obvious sermon just from right here saying that, you know, this is the obvious part of the story that the wise men teach us that the, that the reality of where our joy is found is in Jesus and how the wise men traveled so far to go and find this joy that you too have to travel so far to find your joy, but it's not too far away because it's right there where Jesus is. And so the wise men tell us that joy is found in Jesus. And if you just trust and you look to Jesus, then you're going to be filled with joy too. And that's true. But it's not always helpful for us to just hear, you just got to trust and believe in Jesus and then you'll be filled with joy because how many of you, you don't have to admit this, how many of you have believed and trusted in Jesus and still don't feel joy? I'd say probably most of us, if not all of us. You're sitting there and you're like, I'm believing that God's going to do something. I just don't feel very joyful about it. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I want to point out that just that face value when you're looking at Scripture, the wise men were not filled with joy when they saw Jesus. They were filled with joy before that. They were filled with joy at the sign of where Jesus was. When you look at Scripture, look at it with me. See, what verse is it? Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, if the shepherds, it doesn't necessarily use the, the language of joy, but the shepherds had to go, and when they saw Jesus, then they were filled with joy, and they started glorifying and praising God and going out and telling everyone about it. The wise men, when they saw the star, arose a second time. The star in the sky that showed them where Jesus was. That's when they were filled with joy. A star that showed up two years ago that led to them looking deeper and studying and then making the journey to Jerusalem, which would lead them to Bethlehem. They were overjoyed because they knew that the star would lead them to where they needed to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. 
Some of you in here, you're probably hoping and praying for a star to show up in your life so that you too can be filled with joy. I don't know what it is about this season, but I, I have sensed that more people feel less at peace, that people, maybe not even necessarily in here, but people in general feel less joy in their life. They, they feel less love and, and, and hope. Everything about the Advent season, what it represents, we don't have. I sense that about people. And so when it comes to joy, there's probably some of you in here right now that aren't feeling very joyful about this season. You're feeling stressed. You're anxious. You're, you're worried. And have you ever thought, uh, just, just to be open with yourselves, have you ever thought, man, if, if I could just see where Jesus was, in the middle of my life struggle. If I could just see where Jesus was in the middle of all this chaos that's happening, I would be filled with joy. I would be filled with so much hope. I would be filled with so much love and, and appreciation and peace about what's God, what God's doing in my life. But I just can't see it. And you ask God, God, where, where are you at in this? Where, where are you? In the midst of all these things that are happening in my life, where are you? Maybe it's not even for your life, it's for someone else's life. You're looking at someone else and you're like, God, where are you at in their life? Everything is chaotic. There's no joy, there's no hope, there's no peace. Where are you at? And when you start doing that, when you start asking that, you're asking for a star to show you where Jesus is. But the problem is, is that we often see the star and we look in the wrong places. We're just like the wise men. We're, we're looking from afar. We see the star and we go exactly where the world tells us that joy will be found. The star is saying, here's where Jesus is. And we go to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. We go to, to our relationships. We go to our, our jobs. We go to money. We, we go to material things. We go exactly where the world tells us that joy is going to be found because what did the world say? Jerusalem is where royalty is. Jerusalem is the capital city. And so the wise men who were unbelievers came to where they expected the joy to be found, right in Jerusalem. And non-Christians and Christians alike, we often do the same thing. We expect Jesus at church, but sometimes we don't get Jesus at church. We expect Jesus in different places in our life, but he's not there. He's where he's meant to be. And if we start continuing to go to Jerusalem, to go into our relationships, to go into our friendships, to go into money, to go into all these other things, we will always be left empty. Because guess what? Guess who else is in Jerusalem? Herod, King Herod, the one who would go and he would kill every single child who was under the age of two in hopes that he could kill Jesus. Now we know because of the gifts of the Magi that they were able to travel and escape to Egypt. And that's what 
paid their way to go there. And so they escaped all of that, but all of the innocents, they died because Herod was in Jerusalem. You know who else was in Jerusalem? The priests and the teachers of the law. You're like, well, that's the, that's the preachers. That, that's the, the church staff. Why, why, why is that an issue? Well, if you know anything about the New Testament, the teachers of the law are the Pharisees. And the priests are, are the ones who, who took over the temple and they, they organized and did everything from the temple. And if you know anything about those two groups of people, they constantly tried to destroy Jesus's ministry. They constantly sought to discredit and destroy Jesus. And eventually they would come together and form the Sanhedrin, which would become the judicial system of Jerusalem, uh, of, of Israel. And when the Sanhedrin would come before the Roman, uh, Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, they would say, Jesus needs to go up on the cross, not Barabbas. And so if you're trying to find joy in a religious institution, you're looking in the wrong place. Joy is not just found in here. Joy is found out there where you see Jesus in your life. The enemy will constantly show you where you should expect joy. And when you don't find it, it leaves you frustrated. And it leaves you afraid. So if you're like, if I can't find it at church, where can I find it? If I can't find joy at church, and let me tell you, I'm human, so I don't always feel that joy. Like, I'm not always joyful. Like there are times, and Chloe knows this because she's my wife, there are times where I come here and I'm like, I don't want to do this today. It's because I'm trying to find joy in what I'm doing instead of where he is. The enemy will constantly show you where you should expect joy. And when you get there, he will fill you with fear. He will fear, uh, fill you up with doubt. And he will do everything that he possibly can to destroy the joy in your life. So that you don't leave church feeling joyed and at peace and comforted and loved and hopeful, but you leave fearful. You leave hungry. You leave with more questions and answers. That's what the enemy wants. Now to kind of close, I know I've been talking for a while. Here's where the gifts of the wise men come in. The gifts you bring, the treasures you store up and give, determine the joy that you feel from Christ. The gifts you bring and the treasures that you hold determine the joy that you feel. And they also tell you how genuine your worship truly is. The wise men came in, they gave their best. There was nothing cheap about gold, which we all know that. There was nothing cheap about frankincense or myrrh. One of the wise men gave gold. And instantly you're like, I would love to get to know that wise man. 
And if he's just giving out gold like crazy, I want to know him. I want to be friends with him. And around Christmas time, I'm going to be asking, you know, you still got some of that gold over there? Right? He was the good gift giver. That, that's what you expect. That when we read this, we're like, okay, I can connect. I know what gold is. That's a good gift. But gold also represented the kingship and the royalty of Jesus. That this gold would represent that Jesus would be the king of kings. He would be the Lord of lords. And that his kingdom would be established when he came and it would last for eternity. That's what gold meant. The other gave frankincense, which still is costly. It's one of those, okay, that, that's, that's, a, that's a decent gift. That's a good gift. It was perfume is what it was. A little weird for a baby boy maybe, but you know, it's, it's still perfume. It's costly. Cost sacrifice. But frankincense was a perfume that was used in the temple. And it was used to, to make it have a pleasant smell whenever you walked in but it was only used by the priests. And so what this symbolizes is that Jesus would be the ultimate and final priest. He would perform the sacrifice that would cleanse us all from all of our sins, from the entire world. But frankincense also was a symbol of a divine name. And so frankincense also recognized that Jesus, though fully human, was also fully God, that he was the Messiah. Now, the last one we would think of as a bad gift. We'd be a little confused. We'd be like, mm, thank you, um, because myrrh uh, was also a fragrance. It was a perfume, but in the oil form of myrrh, which is when it was most commonly used, was embalming oil meaning that myrrh was more, more likely, more, most often used to prepare dead bodies for the grave. Now, just think about that for a minute. You're coming to a two-year-old's birthday party, and maybe it's your two-year-old, and someone comes up and says, here's some embalming oil. Like, what? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you even say thanks to that? But myrrh would symbolize that Jesus would ultimately become the ultimate sacrifice. It would symbolize his death on the cross. And so just because of these three gifts, we now know that Jesus is our king and he is the Lord over our life and his kingdom is made and it's established and it will last forever and that he is divine that he was fully human and he is fully God, and that he was the priest that was going to end all the need for sacrifices because he was also the one who became the most important sacrifice for us. But notice this. All three were brought in worship. Worship of God. Look back at the story. What were the wise men's intentions when they were looking for Jesus and they left their countries to worship Christ? What did they do when they got to Jesus? When they got to Jerusalem, what did they tell Herod? We want to go worship him. When they got to Bethlehem, what did they do? 
they worshipped him by giving their best, but also staying for a little bit and actually worshipping him. I want to tell you just one thing. There's a lot of things, but I just want to give you one thing on how you can fight the unjoyfulness in your life is to worship God. Not just pray and look and and be like, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting that you're going to give me joy, but actually worship him through the chaos. Say, God, I don't know what's happening in my life right now, and I'm feeling very afraid, and I'm I'm distressed. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm worried about all these different things. And it's just bringing me a lot of stress being in this Christmas season. But what I want to tell you is that I still love you. That I'm worshiping you. Blast the music in your car as you're leaving and you're going different places. Right? Spend some time with him and just focus on where he is. And in those moments that you're feeling afraid, it's a red flag and it's a signal saying, hey, it's time to worship God. It's time for you to be reminded of who he is and what he's done. And I'm telling you, I've tried it, so I know it works at least for me. If it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. But for me, when I feel most afraid, when I feel most distressed and stressed about life, the moments that I have scripture read over me, the moments that I go into the word and I start reading and studying scripture, the moments where I'm in my car or even just here in the office or at home and I just start listening to worship music. Even coming in here sometimes, sometimes I'll walk into here uh, throughout the week and I'll sing hymns. Those are the moments that my fear melts away. And I'm filled with joy, not because of what's happening, but because I know that we serve a God who's in control. We serve a God who loves us and who wants to give us joy. So if Christ gives you joy, you're willing to worship at any moment. You're willing to give your best. But if you're not giving your best, I wonder how joyful you actually are that Christ has come and he lived and he died and he rose again for the forgiveness of your sins so that we could gather together as a body of believers and experience joy together. And so I just want to ask you, if you don't feel that joy and you want some joy through this next song that we're about to sing, Truly and genuinely worship him. And pray. Say, God, I'm not feeling very joyful today. And so, Lord, I'm just going to look to you. I'm going to place my full attention on you, which is our true and natural worship. It's just putting our attention on him. It doesn't have to be a song. It doesn't have to be scripture. Just recognizing that God is with you. Sometimes that's the most raw and intimate worship that we have. And so I invite you to take these next several moments and worship him.